Hey, good evening, Praxis. It's so good that you're here and making time to be with us this evening. You know, for me, when I have to preach about a week before I start, I start getting a little anxious. You know, I have to start thinking about preparing and writing and studying for the sermon. And now that we've moved ministry online, their level of anxiety kind of heightened a bit. I have to think about like sound and recording and lighting, ironing my shirt. But this past week, I was able to experience the whole new level of anxiety before preaching. And you know what it was? Cutting my hair. The reason why is, is I was cutting my hair, I was thinking about you guys. Because the whole time I was thinking, don't mess up because I don't want to go bald and preach in front of Praxis. So again, if you think that my hair looks pretty bad, it could have been a lot worse. And if it's still distracting, just look at your Bible. So with that awkward introduction and welcome, let me open up our time in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for bringing us out this evening. And we do now pray that you would give us soft hearts, that we may be able to receive your word, to be able to learn it, and then to be able to think about how it applies to our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This evening, we're continuing our journey through 1 Peter with the overarching theme, Hope for Suffering Sojourners. We're in a section of the letter where, where the focus is on being submissive sojourners with the purpose of evangelizing. Do you remember the encouragement in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12? It says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, sharing the gospel is the backdrop to earthly submission because it says much of our heavenly submission to God. The apostle Peter starts by commanding Christians to submit to their governing authorities, even if you disagree with them and even if they are evil. He then moves on to the next group where he talks about slaves submitting to their masters. And last week, Rob equated that to the workplaces where some of our bosses or some of our supervisors or managers are not easy to submit to. And now we come to the third group, Peter commanding wives to submit to their husbands, some of whom are not worthy of respect. And you can hear the pattern. Christians submitting to those in authority over us is God's plan for our lives so that we can point others to God. And before going any further, I want to address why should a singles ministry have to listen to a message directed to husbands and wives? First, we increasingly live in a world where definitions and identity are fluid and ever-changing. So amidst the confusion that we live in, we want to hear God's plan for marriage between a husband and a wife. Second, the Lord may call some of you to marriage, and it will be helpful if you begin growing a biblical understanding of what will be asked of you now. It's better to establish a biblical foundation rather than living with a different set of standards and having to change later. And third, you can love and care for marriages in our church better. You know, as you interact with married folks here at Lighthouse, it gives you a better understanding of the challenges and hardships that they're facing, with, facing within their marriage, so you can better pray for them and love your married friends. And lastly, one of Peter's themes as suffering sojourners is so that we may glorify God in one specific way, as we mentioned, is proclaiming Christ through our obedience to his word. You know, we'll live differently from the world and we may be ridiculed and persecuted for it, but we're demonstrating that our God, his ways are the best ways to live. 
You know, now that I've addressed why you should listen, let me lay out the roadmap for this message. It's going to be broken down into two parts. Part one will be focused on the wives, and we're going to hear the command and the purpose, the means, and an, see an example. And then part two is going to be focused on husbands, where we'll talk about the commands, we'll talk about the means, and we'll see two purposes as well. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me in them to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, part one, genuine beauty is seen in a wife's submission. Verses 1 through 6 give us the commands, the purpose, the means, and an example. You know, before continuing, let me lay a biblical foundation before explaining these verses. Christianity affirms men and women are created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 records God saying, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The word man here represents mankind, men and women. Men and women are created in God's image. Men and women are equal in value and dignity, even though they are different. And in our passage this evening, Peter writes that men and women are heirs of the grace of life. You know, one of the differences is that God created men and women with different roles. And this was established before sin entered the world. Adam being the man was to lead, and Eve was created to help support Adam. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Men and women are equal but have different roles, and this is part of God's created order. And it's with this foundation that the command is found in verse 1. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. The highlighted command is be subject. In the Greek, the word is hupotasso, meaning to subject oneself, to subordinate oneself, to obey. And even though it's a participle, it carries this imperative weight, simply meaning it's a command that God is giving wives. And for the ears of the modern-day woman and men hearing this command, it seems harsh, outdated, oppressive. For some of the ladies, you may be thinking, yes, maybe in generations past, but not today. You know, I'm not inferior or lesser than any man. You know, you don't know what my mom and I as a child went through at the hands of my dad who justified his evil actions with this verse. I can't trust men after I was raped. Men use their power and continue to oppress women. And we can go on with more statements and questions. And I want to make clear, the submission that God commands does not entitle, justify, or validate 
any type of abuse, emotional, verbal, or physical, done by a husband to a wife. God hates the sinful injustice and evil wives have gone through. And on a broad level, God hates the sinful injustice men have wielded for selfish gain by oppressing, taking advantage of, and violating women. God sees every injustice and will ultimately bring judgment and punishment on these perpetrators. You know, God calls his daughters who are married and who may marry to trust him, even when they've been hurt, scarred, and violated. You know, we also can't let the sinful abuse of authority mean that all authority and all submission is bad. So what is the submission God calls wives to? Here's my definition. Biblical submission is a wife's deliberate and voluntary decision to obey, respect, and encourage her husband's authority and leadership over her, even amidst his sins, shortcomings, and failures, and all the while using her humble heart, intellect, personality, and gifts to do so. In a lighthouse holds to a complementarian view and this means that the church believes God has given the roles of leadership and authority to men in two specific arenas of life, in the home and in the church. Husbands are the leaders of their home and male elders are the leaders of the church. This is important to note because this verse has been erroneously used to justify that all women are to submit to all men. This verse does not state that a wife is to be submissive to her own husband. You may have noticed in our definition that it said, amidst his sins, shortcomings, and failures. You know, wife's submission is not determined by how well her husband is leading. The fact is that even the best of husbands are going to sin. They're going to make wrong decisions. They're going to be hurtful. They're going to be lazy. thus making it difficult for a wife to follow. And there are two arguments for submission by a wife. One is the Trinity. Three persons of the Godhead, all equal, but we see in the Gospels, Jesus willfully submits himself to the Father's will. And there's a lot more to say about this, but the second argument is that submission in marriage is also one of the best pictures of the Gospel. And you may ask, how? Based on Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul talks about wives and husbands, a husband's call to lead is seen in his sacrificial love, just like Christ's sacrificial love and the wife's call to joyfully submit is displayed in the church's joyful obedience to Christ. Christina Fox, writing in a chapter titled, What is Submission, says this, As a wife yields to her husband's leadership in their marriage, she reflects the heart of faith that characterizes Jesus' people. The church follows Jesus as her head and uses her gifts to carry out his mission in this world. Likewise, the wife respects and yields to her husband's leadership as she uses her gifts to complement his good purposes for their marriage and family. This is why submission can be beautiful. And this now leads us to the purpose. Verse 1 continues, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one. You know, as Peter writes, He has Christian wives who are married to non-Christian husbands in mind. You know, just as we talked about men erroneously using verse 1, I'll also add this verse 
isn't to be interpreted as giving liberty for missionary dating. You know, if you haven't heard the phrase, it's the phrase of a Christian dating a non-Christian desirable person so that that person will become a Christian. Peter is not arguing for that. Rather, he's writing to wives who became Christians after marrying, and now that they're believers, he's saying one of the purposes for you wives is to submit to your husbands so that you may proclaim the gospel and that they may come to saving faith. But it wasn't always so easy because Peter wrote, the husband had the ultimate authority in the house, even over the wife, and this could lead to a wife being punished for choosing a religion other than her husband's. She could be shunned by extended family and the surrounding community. And Peter knew some of these sisters in Christ were suffering greatly in their own homes. But it reminds them of their greater purpose. They're suffering sojourners living with the purpose of glorifying God by proclaiming the gospel to their husbands. So how do wives accomplish this? Peter now provides the means, beginning at the end of verse 1, through verse 4. Peter says there are two contrasting ways of submitting to your husband. There's the way to do it, and then there's the way not to do it. Let's start with the way not to do it. First, wives aren't to nag their husbands with their incessant words trying to share the gospel. Peter says they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Yes, words will be absolutely necessary to share the gospel, but a wife is to let her behavior, her conduct, her actions demonstrate her changed life, not by pleading and begging with her husband. Second, wives are not to focus on their exterior physical appearance, like wearing expensive jewelry or wearing nice clothes. You know, the times have not changed. The same things we see peddled and honored in women's magazines and social media influences, influencers are the same things that Greco-Roman women relied on for influence as well. That's the thinking of the world. The way to change your husband or any man is only through focusing on your physical beauty. Just to clarify, so is Peter saying wives can't wear makeup? can't wear earrings or necklaces, and the only thing that they can wear for clothing are long robes all the way down to their ankles? No. Now, as we'll hear in just a bit, true beauty comes from a submissive heart. So it's okay to fix your hair and wear the in styles of clothing, but just guard your heart so that it's not your focus of what beauty is. So what are the means of making a wife's submission beautiful? First, a wife's respectful and pure conduct. You may ask, what might that practically look like? Well, in the book Lighthouse uses for premarital counseling, Tying the Knot by Rob Green, he provides three ways a wife can respect her husband. He uses uh, Ephesians 5.33, but the same root word for respect is used in verse 2 of our passage. He writes, first, a wife can respect her husband by recognizing all the ways that he is a blessing to her. It is amazing how much changes when our thinking changes. What you choose to dwell upon regarding your husband will greatly impact how you see him. Second, a wife can respect her husband by refusing to say, I told you so. There will be many times in your marriage when you are right. Just because he has the position of leader does not always mean he makes the right decisions. Sometimes he'll do things that are just plain stupid, 
and you will pay the price for it. But that does not mean you have to remind him of it. And third, a wife can respect her husband by encouraging his areas of success. I know that some women don't appreciate the cheerleader analogy, but it fits this point well. As wives, you are your husband's greatest supporter and encourager." End quote. Second, a wife's gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle means a wife who exudes a patient submissiveness. She could exert her will or blast her husband, but she is gentle. She says the right thing at the right time with the right tone. And a quiet spirit is a, is a wife who is at peace. There's a tranquility about her. She helps her husband, encourages him, prays for him, talks with him, but ultimately her peace comes knowing her heavenly father is the one who's watching over her marriage and her family. This reminder of God is, is what gives her a quiet spirit. It's when a wife forgets God, then she begins to worry, fret, and tries to take matters into her own hands. These two characteristics, along with a number of others, is what stood out to me when I first got to know my wife, Lorraine. These characteristics revealed her inner beauty that have grown, more, and she's grown more beautiful over time. And that's what we want to pass on to our daughters. So I tell them how beautiful they are. God made them exactly how he wanted them. Their height, their hair color, everything. They are beautiful. But I also tell them that true beauty comes from the heart. Godly character is what is really beautiful. And I really hope my girls will remember that because there's a world out there that's willing to tear them down by saying, you're not beautiful unless you do this or unless you look like that. I want them to always remember that their daddy thinks they're beautiful on the inside and the outside. A quick word to the brothers. Guys, you've been sitting quietly, but I want to give you a what-if scenario. What if there were two women who wanted to date you? One was a supermodel who could cook, bake, and grill like no other. She says she's a Christian, but her lifestyle says the complete opposite. On the other hand is a woman who is cute and her cooking is good, but nothing spectacular. She says she's a Christian and it's clearly seen in her gospel character that flows from her smile to her love for others with her servant's heart to her absolute love for God. Who would you date? Honestly, who would you date? For some of you guys, you're going to marry that beautiful woman who isn't godly and sometime in their future, her looks are going to go. And she's going to suck all of your money buying expensive, expensive clothing and jewelry. And she's not going to be pleasant to be around because she won't be a Christian. And you'll know you have chosen foolishly. Guys, don't choose the wrong definition of beauty. Because if you do, you're overlooking many sisters in Christ who have the beauty that is imperishable. And a word to the sisters, each of you have focused on growing your love for Christ and letting your beauty flow from a gentle and quiet spirit. And for some of you, you love to date a Christian brother and get married by living out what we've just talked about. But it hasn't happened and there's nothing on the horizon. So you're beginning to think about going out and possibly dating that non-Christian guy who's interested in you. 
Sisters, please hold firm to God's commands. Even though your heart's desire is to be in a dating relationship, remember God sees you. And he sees your desires to honor him, and it's precious in his sight. Sisters, don't throw that away. Keep striving on growing a beautiful heart. And now we come to the example of a woman who lived out submission. We as Christians know that obedience to Christ doesn't mean we won't suffer, and it actually it may lead to more suffering. So this is why Peter turns the attention of wives to verses 5 and 6 by telling them to look back at their spiritual lineage, a lineage of Old Testament wives who were submissive to their husbands while also having to suffer. And he singles out Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who would become the father of the nation of Israel. Peter writes in verses 5 and part of verse 6, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. We don't have enough time to detail how Sarah submitted to her husband in all the different ways, so I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Abraham's story covers Genesis chapter 12 all the way through chapter 25. And when we're first introduced to Abram, his original name, he's around 75 years old and Sarah is 10 years younger. And it's here we have to read between the lines, but Sarai agrees to leave the place of their birth and their families to sojourn to a foreign land because God spoke to her husband and tells her husband that they're going to have a family and that they are going to become a great nation. But just let that sink in for a bit. She's 65 years old and she's now being asked to leave the place that she loves and the people she loves to go to a foreign place. But she submits. While living in the new land, there's a severe famine and they have to go to Egypt. And the Bible doesn't record any sarcastic comments by Sarai, but in my sinful heart, I'd have a whole list for Abram, starting with, hey, great decision, chief. And while entering Egypt, Abram forgets about trusting God for protection for him and his wife. So he tells Sarai to lie. And she's taken into Pharaoh's home, becoming one of his wives. Sarai is separated from her husband. Again, the Bible doesn't record any sarcastic or angry comments by Sarai, even though Abram deserved them because of his sinful decisions. And after they go back to Canaan, the land God called them to, we read about the pain Sarai has been living with. She was suffering with the pain of infertility. They had no children. And in her pain and her desire to have a child, she decides to take action into her own hands and comes up with the plan of giving her servant Hagar to become a second wife to Abram. Abram is the leader of his home and he could have and should have said no, but he agrees, again displaying his lack of faith in God to provide a child for he and Sarah. So often when we try to do things that we want on our own, it doesn't lead to peace. And it didn't end Sarah's hurt. Rather, it leads to more pain and anger, much of it directed towards Hagar. So much so that Hagar flees while pregnant and an angel of the Lord has a conversation with her. And what is interesting is the angel tells her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Hagar obeys the Lord and goes back to the place of suffering and submits to Sarai. And we finally come to Genesis 18, the passage where Sarah calls Abraham her Lord. 
Abraham is around 100 years old, and Sarah is 90. The couple is visited by three special men. Abraham knows he's in God's presence when he says, Oh Lord, these men are bearers of good news, for they say, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah overheard this and laughed to herself and said, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. There's nothing more specific in the story that teaches us about Sarah's submission, but we just have to take that her respect for Abraham was seen throughout her life. And from that brief overview, it is true. Sarah was a submissive wife, even though her husband sinned and made unwise decisions. In summary, a wife's submission is seen in her everyday decisions that lead to a lifetime of respect for her husband. You know, at this time, you know, I wanted to share with you guys, or wanted you guys to hear personally, testimonies from two of our staffers. And I thought it'd be good for you to hear from them. The first is Rebecca Shing's testimony that I will read, and then we'll hear from Steph Chin. Before I was married, not even dating, I recoiled at the Bible's words on a woman's role in marriage. I thought that what the Bible had to say was outdated and irreverent, irrelevant, relevant to modern times. However, when I started college and began attending a different church that emphasized a high view of scripture, God used that time to humble me and change my thinking. When I began to see God's commands for wives within the bigger picture of God's good plan for believers, I gradually came to the understanding that submission within marriage is not an unequal relationship between a husband and a wife, but instead it is God's design for marriage that benefits both spouses and gives glory to God. I think it was important for me to come to that understanding before being in a relationship and to know why I believe in biblical submission within marriage rather than just blindly accepting it at face value. Just because that's what the Bible says. Having now been married for 10 years, my husband Andrew and I have experienced the blessings of submitting to God's word in how we relate to one another. Submission on my part doesn't mean turning off my brain and accepting whatever Andrew says. Our relationship is a partnership of two people with equal standing before God. Together we discuss almost every decision, big or small. My husband frequently asks for and needs my input when making a decision. I can joyfully submit to Andrew's leadership because I love and respect him. Andrew would be the first to say that as the head of our marriage and our household, he is held accountable to God for how he leads and makes decisions in our home. Having that perspective gives me the freedom to trust him in how he cares for our family. Ultimately, submitting to my husband demonstrates my love for God and his word. My encouragement to the women of Praxis is to read the word for yourself and to wrestle with it, ask questions, and pray to the Lord to give you understanding and a heart that desire, desires to submit to God's word. And we have a testimony from Steph Chin, another Praxis staffer. Hi, everyone. Uh, so Gavin asked me to share my journey in regards to my understanding of submission and how it plays out in my life today. Uh, to begin with, just the other day, I remember sharing with my husband about how I am not a very submissive person by nature and that it truly has been a journey for me. 
Uh, to start, before marriage and in my college years of dating Rob, my first encounter with the idea of submission came from studying what it meant to be a woman of God. Um, I grew up with a very worldly view of women's roles, although I did grow up in a very traditional home with a mom who stayed home in my early elementary years. Uh, she went back to work once I hit the preteens, and I quickly became a very independent latchkey kid. I was never a very girly girl and always wanted to hold my own in the world. I was an aerospace turned mechanical engineering major at UCLA and was used to being one of only two or three other girls in all of my classes. Learning about what it meant to be a woman of God was challenging to me, especially hearing things like having a gentle and quiet spirit and being submissive. Some of the other girls in my fellowship group at the time seemed to have those gentle qualities that I lacked, and I didn't feel like I lived up to the standards of a godly woman. It wasn't until I truly began to study what those characteristics meant on a deeper level that I began to see how they could be manifest in me, a non-typical girl who wasn't gentle and quiet by nature. Uh, first, I learned that having a gentle and quiet spirit had more to do with what was internal and in my heart and not just external in my behavior. This helped me a lot in my understanding of submission too. The goal wasn't to have the right behavior first, but instead it was to have the right attitude and heart. Well, easier said than done, especially once I got married and started having kids. Rob and I enjoyed a good seven years of marriage before having kids, and for the most part, because we're both pretty independent people, we were good with making big decisions together but leaving each other alone regarding some of the little things. But raising kids required agreement on a lot more stuff that we quite often butted heads about. That's when I learned that I really wasn't a very submissive person at all towards my husband. Our early years of parenting were some of our hardest years as a family. The missing piece was that in order to grow in my submission towards my husband, I needed to grow in my submission towards God. Submission wasn't about not getting my own way, nor being forced to do something I didn't want to do. It was about respecting my husband's thoughts and trusting in the Lord's direction by being obedient to God first. The biggest example of learning how to be submissive to God came when God called our family to change the trajectory of our education by calling me to homeschool. I was being asked to give up my own time and freedom, which I was definitely enjoying at the time, to homeschool and to parent differently. I had to take my role as a mom to a whole different level, one that I fought the Lord against for a whole year before finally submitting. But submitting to God in this situation totally helped me in my submission to Rob. I realized that submitting to my husband was an act of submitting to God first. And that gave me the desire and the motivation that I needed. I soon found myself in situations where instead of reacting in irritation or rebelliousness to request, that I desired to show the kids that submission to their father was the right thing to do for me and also for them. 
With proper roles, respect, and love, our family life has been much more joyful and peaceful. Having kids who don't complain and who have proper respect for their parents comes from parents who have proper respect for each other. Verses 1 and 2 of the passage say, Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. Those verses mean so much more to me now. I used to be someone who argued much more to try to prove my point or to prove that my way was better or right. Now I see so much more power in holding my tongue, using self-control, not always getting my way, and being totally okay with that. That's the gentle and quiet spirit that is spoken of in verse 4, one that trusts in the Lord and submits to his ways, and as a result, can see the fruit that comes from it. Rebecca and Steph, thank you for sharing your lives with us this evening. Now let's transition to the husbands. Part two is loving leadership is seen in husbands honoring their wives. This comes from verse seven. And even though Peter only addresses the husbands with one verse, this verse is a high calling for husbands. The verse says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Just like the verses for wives, we'll see the commands, the means, and two purposes. The command is for husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands are not to live as the king of their home and, and their wife is the servant. No, Peter and the Apostle Paul both exhort husbands to live a sacrificial life for their wives. The modern day way of putting an understanding way is to be a husband who is a student of God and his wife. He knows what God asks of him and then the husband uses his ears and his eyes to always learn more about his wife. What are her hopes? What are her dreams? What are her fears? What are her insecurities? What are things that make her happy? What does she enjoy doing? You know, what happens after husbands get married is they possibly move on to the next goal in life, and it's often work. But Peter's commanding husbands to not move on from their wives. No, they must set aside their desires so that they can learn and bless their wives throughout their whole marriage. Lorraine and I will be celebrating our 18th wedding anniversary this July. And I can say that I've learned so much more about her since we first started dating and we first started our marriage. You know, have I always been an attentive student of her? Unfortunately, no. Have I let ministry be more important than Lorraine during certain seasons of our marriage? Unfortunately, yes. But what brings me back to trying to love her in an understanding way is the gospel. God has given me the privilege of loving and caring for Lorraine in a way that no one else can. And that's what Jesus has done for me. He loves me in an understanding way that is so personal. He knows all my sins, all my insecurities, all my failures, all my limitations, and he still loves me in a personal way. I, as a husband, am called to do my best for Lorraine, to love her and to know her in a personal way as well. The means 
or how our husbands are to carry this out is by showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. As I've already stated, men and women are equal in value and worth. The Bible teaches that women are not spiritually inferior. In anecdotally, they seem more spiritual. Women are no way less intellectual, nor are they emotionally weak. Therefore, what Peter is referring to is that in general, women are not as physically strong. There's a physical difference between men and women. So husbands, use your strength to benefit your wife with your work, your labor at home, and don't misuse your physical strength by abusing or threatening your wife. Rather, a husband carries out the command by honoring her. And there are different ways a husband can honor his wife, but I'll just highlight two. One is to honor her by not putting her down privately or publicly. And this leads to the second, build her up with your words, your verbal words and your written words in private and in public. Find ways to praise her. And brothers, start by learning to praise your mom. You know, just don't do it because Mother's Day is on Sunday, but may you learn how to see all the good things your mom does and thank her and use your words to encourage her. This will prepare you well to care for and love your future wife. And now we see two purposes for why husbands need to live out this command. The first is that their wives are co-heirs of the grace of life with them. Husbands and wives are sinners who both need the Savior, Jesus Christ. The wife that God has given to a husband is who he must care for and point to Christ because she is the daughter of the living God. And the second purpose, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This verse should strike fear for husbands. There's nothing worse than the Heavenly Father choosing not to hear the prayers of a husband. It's basically like scuba diving with no oxygen in your tank or skydiving without a parachute. God does this because this is how much he cares about his daughter. He wants to grab you and shake you to get your attention so that you may address your sin or maybe your lack of sacrificial love for your wife that you may change. And God didn't use this threat for the wise, but he does so for the husbands. Brothers, if your desire is to get married, then I ask you, are you taking seriously your walk with Christ? What does your life look like when no one else is watching? Are you growing a heart of sacrifice or a heart of selfishness? Prepare well because God takes seriously the care of his daughters. So men and women of Praxis, I, I hope you're encouraged by this passage, knowing God's ways are truly the best ways to live. Again, for the brothers out there, I really t hope that you'll take seriously growing a character that honors the Lord and growing a heart of sacrifice. And to the sisters there, I really pray that you'll continue to just uh, let the gentle and quiet spirit flourish within you. And that for all the men and women of Praxis, that we'll continue to seek the Lord in all that we do and to really proclaim him to a world that so desperately needs him. Will you join with me as I close us in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who exemplified perfectly what does it mean to live a life 
of sacrifice and a life of submission. And I pray for us that you would help us to be a people who sacrifice our lives for Christ and others and who submit our lives because we want to ultimately submit them to you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.